0: The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of Webmaster Radio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. From the pinnacle
1: of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists. We're preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere.
0: Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help chief marketing officers in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Two W2 Group companies, Digital Influence Group and Race Point Group, are leaders in social media marketing in both paid and unpaid media. Today, I'll be talking about the Digital You with Elizabeth Charnik, the founder and CEO of Catafora, a technology company that tracks and predicts human behavior and a pioneer in the rapidly growing field of digital evidence analytics. Prior to founding Catafora, Elizabeth was the CEO and founder of Troba, a leading customer relationship management software company, which she sold in 2001. Elizabeth has significant experience in engineering management, management consulting, and restart management at companies such as HP and Sun. A member of Fast Company's magazine's Fast 50 list of 50 movers and shakers who are, quote, writing the history of the next 10 years, unquote, Elizabeth authored and very recently published a book titled E-Habits, The 10 Things You Must Do to Craft a Successful Digital Footprint. It's great to have you on Market Edge, Elizabeth.
1: Thank you very much, Larry. I'm pleased to be here.
0: Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about how you came to found Cataphora. Our audience is always interested in entrepreneurs and what you've got going on right now, and what issue Cataphora is leading on.
1: Um, well, I think I'll start off with what we're doing now, and then perhaps how we back into how we got there. Um, we've been in business almost nine years now, and we specialize in doing digital investigation. Um, and what, what I mean by that is we're not detectives who follow you around, but when a company gets sued anymore. Um, What happens is all of the emails, sometimes all the IMs, all the Word documents, and all these things get collected and are analyzed as potential evidence for a subpoena. Um, We've been at this work for years now. We've learned many things about what I call the digital you um, or how people's digital instantiations behave, especially in a workplace setting. Um, We found many fascinating things that equally apply whether you're talking about a multi-million dollar fraud or conspiracy or whether you're just talking about the standard office environment. Um, and we've, o- I've personally always been fascinated by why people do what what they do and whether you can predict what people will do. Um, you know, given the same stimulus or a similar type of stimulus, can you predict how they're going to behave? And that's really what Cataphora um, is, is all about, is understanding how different digital use interact with one another um, what we can learn about ourselves from it, what we can learn about society or our employer, um, all of that. Um, with respect to what I mean by the digital you, um, and I don't mean to preempt a subsequent question, but most people think, oh, well, you know, it's just me. You know, I'm just writing email. I'm doing what I do. But the fact that you're doing it digitally really changes the nature of the interaction um, in many different ways. One of the things I mention in the book is a study done by Rutgers and other universities with some of their MBA students. They gave each of the students $89 and told them to divide the money with strangers. The only catch was that they didn't have to admit they had $89. They could, for example, say that they had $49. Um, Half of the students were told to write to the stranger an old-fashioned U.S. mail letter. The other half were told to send email to a stranger, announcing that a letter would be on the way and telling them how much money there would be in it. What would you think was the difference in behavior between the two sets of students?
0: Gee, I, I, my guess is that the the email uh, were far more aggressive and, uh, and and you know worked harder at trying to get to more people so that they could get it done.
1: In fact, what what happened was in terms of whether people lied about how much money they had, hmm. almost twice as many people lied uh, about it, how much money it was on email, meaning that they they shafted the stranger.
0: So they felt um, that they felt that uh, uh, digitally, it, you had less uh, consequence than in real mail.
1: That's exactly right. Even though in both cases they were never going to have to look the person, you know, square in the eyes that they were, I shouldn't say defrauding, but, you know, taking for a bit of a ride. Um, And that's just one of many, many examples of how when it's in the digital world, there's a change in behavior that I think is becoming so customary that people don't even think about it anymore. You know, it's really, in a sense, no different than setting a status on something like Skype to say you're away when really you just don't want to be bothered, yet in the real world you might hesitate to hang a stay the hell away from me, sign on your door, and, and shut the door, but yet in a way that the behavior's the same. Um, so how did we get started in it? We started the company um, as I was trying to sell my last company, and this was after the big internet bubble burst, and the types of due diligence questions we were getting were just crazily insane because everybody just wanted us to go away, I think. Um, right. so nobody wanted their burn rate, you know, raised by an acquisition, and so we were getting questions like, "Oh, you know, how many meetings did you have on average with big six firms before they signed business development deals with you?" And I realized that, oh my God, you know, that's a really complex question. It's you can't find the answer in any one document, from any looking at any one person's stuff, even any one type of data type. Because you have to look at calendars, you have to look at business development reports. And that was really the idea, when the idea for Catafora was hatched, that you know, increasingly the truth um, is spread across not just many different people, but many different media types, many different individual data records, and really you needed to be able to model that data increasingly uh, to make any sense of it. And in fact, one of the things I'm really proud of is, back when we started nine years ago, we anticipated that the, the, the average record size would shrink dramatically. And this was before there was Twitter or anything like that. And indeed, the body of an email has shrunk by more than 50% since wow. has been in business. Wow. wow.
0: And it, yeah, sometimes I I laugh though, Elizabeth. It's like, you know, when I'm on the road, my email response is one word. That I'm becoming part caveman, you know. <laughs> but um, the digital you, you know, um, a slight tangent. You know, in the in the world of social media that really wasn't that pronounced when Catafora started, there seems to be a element that is sort of a parallel to your story about the students and the lying about the amount that they can give away. It seems like there's a culture of almost marketing oneself that maybe everything isn't so transparent and completely honest, Are you concerned about that, one, as a member of society, and two, where is the future of a digital you, and how can you help companies avoid that kind of situation?
1: Well, I I think it's a really good question. I think the only way you kind of stop the the puffing of feathers (coughs) is by tools such as as what we provide and and, and will provide. Um, One of the examples I give of this in the book is that often some of these, these networking sites give you a, a list of things to say, what do I like doing or what am I an expert in? And you have all these lovely check boxes, and it can be very tempting to say that you're an expert in everything. Right. Right. But then, or, or for example, the same thing happens if your HR department asks, gee, you know, what different languages do you speak? What special skills do you have so you know, we can put it on file? Well, people, same thing, often have a tendency to puff themselves up. Well, if you then compare whether or not they are actually consulted on anything, you know, to do with the topics that they claimed expertise in, and indeed whether other people are consulted much more frequently on those topics than they are, then you know, the light of truth is shown on it. And sometimes, you know, even with publicly available data, that could be the case, you know, if they post answers to things that, you know, nobody ever seems to read or respond to or, or, or find helpful. So I, I think in the end the better tools there are to analyze all of this, um, it is actually going to stop the sort of proverbial expansion of the resume, if you will.
0: My, uh, I was just in Friday in Lake Tahoe at a first uh, uh, ever conference called Techonomy, sort of by the founders of Brainstorm when they were at Fortune, and I happened to run into my good old friend, Reed Hoffman, who founded um, LinkedIn. And... Uh, Reed was telling me how he feels we're moving to a time where there won't even be need of a resume, where you're going to post your things, but then people will be able to check out through networks, you know, is this person really a good copywriter, for example, or is this person a great Java developer? What's your reaction to that sort of comment?
1: I, I think he's partially right. Um, certainly, anybody who sends a resume to us, or I suspect any other tech company, immediately if the resume is taken seriously, immediately you know people are looking on Google and LinkedIn and um, and, and so on. I mean, I tell a story in the book, which is tangential to the main theme, but is an honest to god true story about two guys named Matt Welsh, both of whom at one time were software engineering types living in Silicon Valley, both of whom prolifically posted. Um, content on slightly different technical topics, in one case Linux, the other case Java, but you know, nevertheless, stuff that, that most people would consider related. Um, and indeed, one had matt-welsh.com, the other had matt no dash, same spelling, same everything. Hmm. Um, because there was confusion between the two, their sites even at one point linked to one another, and the two kind of became friendly just because this had happened. Um, the rub is one of them is now a professor at Harvard, of computer wow. science. Yeah. Uh, the other is still a software engineer um, working away in the valley, um, but also used the internet at the same time to promote his side business of exotic dancing and stripping. Yeah. He, he'd been in Playgirl and, and all this, and, and you know w- was a male model and bodybuilder. And you know there was a lot of confusion over this in the real world. You know people would drive up to Berkeley, women, well actually and some men, to and you know, to proposition the model and find the professor. And yet you know, because there were so many similarities between them um you know even a LinkedIn, for example, somebody looking at LinkedIn or other things like that could very, very easily confuse the two yeah
0: that's funny hey the um the other you know area, which obviously I know this again is a little tangential, but there seems to be so much focus on you know governments and intelligence agencies, especially in the United States, trying to really get to the truth about. You know, profiles of people, et cetera. Is, is that something that, that Canifora can help with as well?
1: Um, absolutely. I mean, what we look for are combinations of either behavior that we don't, that, that's highly anomalous. And highly anomalous has to be defined within a context because um, otherwise, who's to say what's normal and what's abnormal? Right. Um, and certainly, people in different types of groups respond to different types of stimuli. Um, you know, in different ways. And, you know, one example I give a lot is if you have a terrorist attack, for example, uh, well, most people are going to be upset about that, right? If you have somebody in the middle of all the people who are upset about it who doesn't seem terribly upset or even seems in a good mood, you know, either they just shorted the stock of whatever got hit, you know, by sheer random chance, right? Or there's something more sinister going on. Right. But the ability to model data based on all these different bits. You know, for us, the document isn't the unit of search the network is, or at least different bits of the network. Um, it, go, again, it goes back to this whole point about what do you do in a world where the data record is going to shrink and shrink in size. Um, you know, it's obviously something that's also of interest to, to three-letter agencies as well.
0: Audience, we're talking to Elizabeth Charnick today. She is the founder and uh, the CEO of Cataforum who's working on a number of different uh, products that help you really, you know, analyze the information that's out there in the digital sphere to make sure that there is an accurate assessment of the digital you. She also is the author of an exciting new book that all of you, I hope, will pick up, just published by McGraw-Hill called e-Habits, What You Must Do to Optimize Your Professional Digital Presence. I urge you to pick that up. We're going to just take a short commercial break right now, but we'll be right back with Elizabeth and more of the conversation.
1: Market Edge will continue in just a moment. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan.
0: And best of all, you can make up to 75% commissions. Ready to become the next ClickBank success story? Sign up now for free at ClickBank.com.
1: Every affiliate marketer wants to build their own empire. Lavish trips, new cars, fancy threads. You know, be the talk of the town. That's why I found my empire with Empire Media.
0: Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Culture and Business Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm.
1: From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber.
0: Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Elizabeth Charnick, founder and CEO of Catafora talking about the digital you you know we talked sort of conceptually before the break elizabeth about cataphora and digital you um and before we talk a little more deeply about the book i thought at least especially to some of our more technical in the audience maybe we could talk about digital mirror which i believe is the software at the heart of cataphora maybe you could tell us a little bit more depth about the platform and really what Digital Mirror is all about.
1: Well, as Digital Mirror is what we're calling our new, literally brand new as of Friday, um, consumer software. Oh, okay. We've been at the, the business of um, digital investigation when you're talking about collecting data from thousands, hundreds or thousands of people to Effectively capture data from hundreds of thousands, because of course, you know, for each person you capture data from, you know, they have many correspondence that you're now, in a sense, also capturing. And we produce these very large analyses that it often takes people with really a technical or analytic background to diagnose and, and understand what's going on. Um, with Digital Mirror, we've distilled a lot of these concepts down to nine initial visualizations. They're really personal scale. So, for example, Larry, somebody like you has a social network that, it, that must be immense, right? right? If, if I have software that tries to draw your social network, you know, it's going to look like a Rorschach, however you pronounce it, block, block <laughs> that is going to cover a giant wall. Yep. Um, what we've done with Digital Mirror is shrink it down to the size of an individual, um, the people you deal with most, the topics you find most stressful, um, who you pass the buck to or who passes the buck to you, Um what things upset you more than they upset other people? With, with whom do you really have asymmetric relationships? Meaning, you know, I seem to value you much more than you value me, you know, or, or vice versa. Uh, we have lots of different things like that packaged in these nine views that are also set up to try to package nuances uh, or put them more on display. Um, one example I showed somebody this morning is the difference between what we call, call quality time and what we call social universe. Uh, quality time. If you're really fortunate, you are spending with people you like, but many people are not so fortunate. Um, so, quality time, by our measure, is who are you spending a lot of time with? You know, who are you having long email exchanges with, where there's a lot of text and content generated? Who are you going to meetings with? Who are you having coffee with, drinks with, lunch with, and so on? That's, you know, that's um, a measure of who you find important, but not necessarily who you like. A different measure is who, who do you have the emotionally close relationship with? Who do you talk about the widest range of topics with? Who, are you allo- who do you allow to see it when you're having a really crappy day? Who do you talk to about um, things, things um, how should I put it? Almost regardless of whether they're personal, professional, uh, whether you're supposed to be talking about them or not, um, who do you send informal communications to? Who do you have the most email addresses for? You know all of these things um, that are markers of something. You know comfort level, how long you've known them and kept up with them, um, is a different measure than quality time. And if you're fortunate, you know you get to spend all of your time with your friends or people you really like. But you know not everybody does. And uh, we hope that with digital mirror, people will look at different aspects of their life. Um, how people interact with them, how they interact with those around them, and which of these patterns they like and which of these patterns maybe they don't like so much. Um, So, for example, if everybody's passing the buck to you, and by passing the buck, we we don't mean delegating. We mean sort of just pushing a task off on you um, without a lot of, of guidance. And you're not doing it to anybody else, then maybe you're a doormat. You know, Maybe you need to become more assertive. And you know we're already finding, even though it's only been out here, out there for a very small number of days, that people are already starting to see those types of insights. And really, that's our hope.
0: So that way, you can I can learn more about myself, and also my networks. But also, I can ultimately maybe even change my digital behavior. Is that true?
1: Yeah, and we hope so because the moment you're aware of something. You're much likelier to change your behavior, and, and that's part of the reason the software is called digital mirror. Um, you know, if you look in the mirror and you see that you know some of your hair is standing up on end, or you have a spot of toothpaste on your chin, or whatever, you know what to do. Sure. <laughs> um, but if you don't know what's there, you know, there's really not very much that, that you can do. And our hope is by making this compact, scaling it down, um, it's going to be a whole lot more accessible to people. You know, often when I say we do. Um, software for complex litigation investigation, you know, people's eyes roll over, um, uh, you know, that sounds really interesting, when, of course, you know, they, they really mean the opposite. And, you know, trying to explain how you have lots of big servers, you know, crunching away, it's going to come up with all this interesting stuff. Um, you know, is um, isn't nearly so personal and in your face as this is? And our hope is that it, it's really going to make people think much more about their digital presence and, and what the transition to having so much of our professional lives conducted digitally really means
0: yeah, and it really isn't just you know it's it's not just about the observations of behavior it's the chance for individuals now to actually improve their lives both professionally personally by being far more you know aware of you know their digital existence, which is just as important, if not more important nowadays than your physical uh, uh, existence.
1: Totally agree, and that's why we're hoping that this is really going to be the next step forward in in, in this type of stuff. Certain, you know, certainly, there's a lot of people out there that do everything to try to understand clickstream behavior. In fact, my last company w- was one of them. Uh, that's, I mean, that's an interesting area as well, but. You know, that's a much, to me, in my view at least, that's having done both. It's a much more limited view of who you are and what you do than I can get from really looking at your data, um, every bit of your data. So in the ideal world, you know, we want it all. You know, we want the phone calls. We want the key card events. Um, You know, we want to see everything because it's a little bit like Esther's notion of a quantifiable you or quantifiable me that this it's no different, you know, are you are you getting tertiary today? Are you in a worse mood? Is it time for you to take a vacation? You know, have you taken too much crap from a particular person? You know, all of these are things that, that the software c- can tell you, and the more that it knows about you and the more different types of behavior it can capture, you know, really the more powerful um, and accurate it's going to be.
0: For the audience, Esther is Esther Dyson, uh, really a legend in, in the, the software industry, uh, with Release 1.0 and, and, a, and a great fan of uh, what Catafor is doing with Digital Mirror. How, uh, for my audience, uh, Elizabeth, uh, when can they get their hands on Digital Mirror and how much is it going to cost to, to try to, uh, to, to go through this transformation?
1: It's totally, the first version is totally free. You can download it from our site. Um, it's been available the last couple of days, um, but it's going to be, this, this version is always going to be available and free. Uh, at some point, we will try to monetize it, um, but for it right now, um, we're just trying to get it out there, and we hope as many do- people download it as possible.
0: And what's the site, just for the sake of the audience?
1: Uh, www.digitalmirrorsoftware.com. Of course, you can also get to it from the Catafora website.
0: Which is C-A-T-A-P-H-O-R-A, everyone. Hey, now, because you're an author... Tell us a little bit about eHabits and why everybody should go pick it up today.
1: eHabits distills, uh, again, hopefully in a, a very accessible way, um, much of the types of work, uh, observations that we've been able to make over the course of nine years of doing this type of investigation. Um, one of the things that makes Catafora unique is that while many, many companies are out there helping companies respond to subpoenas, we've been trying to model data the whole time. Um, to, to better understand why people do what they do. Um, and, and, of course, we've also been paid to help uh, assist in investigations, specifically in those instances where the fact pattern was really murky. Um, and so we have many, many different examples of how you can tell that something is was fishy and how you can tell that something's unusual and what some of the implications of what can be known about you are in terms of how you might want to... You know, how you might want to carry yourself going forward. You know, I, one of the things that I'm always shocked to see, and I, I shouldn't be, frankly, after all this time, is how many smart people commit incredibly stupid and foolish things to email and other electronic media. Right. Uh, you know, starting from Bill Gates years ago to what, what was the exact quote? I'm going to, we're going to choke Netscape's windpipe, <laughs> you know, which, co- which cost him. You know, how much uh, with the in antitrust uh, violation fees. But you you see it commonly. You you see people talking about all kinds of things, um, whether it's effectively admitting um, fraud or admitting a crime to admitting cheating on their wife or a gambling habit or a drug habit. And, you know, you've got to ask yourself, why would any even remotely rational person put these things in email or IM? And the answer is because they fundamentally, all evidence to the contrary, believe it to be ephemeral. In the sense that there's, you know, so many billion emails, you know, every day, that nobody thinks theirs is going to be all that meaningful. And one, of, and certainly it's it's a re- remarkably foolish if you're a CEO. But one of the things that I, I often hear is people assume that only big deal executives get subpoenaed in lawsuits. And a point of fact, you know, that's not true at all. You know, say you're some big manufacturing company and you get sued over a defect in some product they're going to subpoena everybody, right? You know, anybody who might have heard about a defect, anybody who might have had access to test data. And, you know, these are secretaries of people. You know, these are not necessarily um, the types of people you read about in the Wall Street Journal, but, you know, especially if you're in the type of industry where litigation is common, sooner or later you are going to be one of the people from whom data is collected, And if you've done anything that really may embarrass yourself or embarrass the company, you know you're you're not going to be in for a good time.
0: You know, it's almost like we're witnessing the 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 convergence of in the digital environment of reputation, influence, people as brands, and data all really together that pops out the character traits that you're either going to want to avoid, you're going to want to work on, you're going to want to, you know, change, and also maybe even the ones you want to accentuate, correct? Yeah.
1: I, I think that's really true. And, I mean, while the book's not really about search, I mean, one point I, I do make is what's interesting is for people who are somewhat higher profile, if you have the patience to do it, is go way down in those Google results. Uh, because sooner or later, no matter who you are, you're going to start finding people that um, just didn't really dislike the person or have some grudge. Right, And then what's starting to be interesting is, is it the same grudge, or are they different grudges? And if it's the same grudge, does it appear to be the same disgruntled person? Or, you know, is it in fact the case that um, you have lots of different um, people, all of whom seem to have had a significant problem, you know, with the same high-profile individual? And in fact, one of the analyses we talk about in the book is if you can track the rise of somebody through a large corporation over time, you can see whether they, they sort of take their, their posse with them.
0: Right. You know,
1: um, you know, as they get promoted, do those people get promoted with them? Even if they don't get promoted with them, do they still have contact with them? Or do you just find broken links everywhere? Because if you find broken links everywhere, you know, probably, um, how should I put it, probably there are some things going on where, you know, all of the blame for whatever didn't go right, because sooner or later something doesn't go right, get, got left with the people with whom there's now the broken link. So, right. And there's lots of things like that that, you know, we've had the privilege to be able to observe by doing the type of work that we've, we've done, and now we're interested in applying that to not just the, the, the much narrower litigation and investigation scenario, but indeed, as you're saying, you know, understanding what goes on in the world more generally and, where the difference is between the brand that somebody is trying to promote for themselves or the resume, if you will, um, and the reality, um, you know, to be able to compare and contrast them.
0: Well, we're starting to run out of time, and this is just fascinating. Thank you, Elizabeth. But the last question I'd have to ask you is, is you know, is there such a thing as Digital you? you know, let's extend this away from the individual as, you know, sort of corporations and brands, you know, maybe have sort of the same problem of, 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 of a, a clear understanding of, of their brand or personality in the
1: digital world. I definitely think that, it's, that companies do have a, a persona that they're trying to project and that hopefully anybody who represents the, the company on um, the outside world understands and, and tries to do their best to project. Um, but it's the same thing. I, I, I think if you analyze all that behavior, you'd find that sometimes the actions of, of at least some of the people promoting the company or who, um, who are spokespeople for the company really diverge from what the company says about itself. Um, so too do their actions, but I think it's a, it's, a much, it's a fascinating problem, but I think in some ways it's a much harder problem because now you have to model lots of different people's behavior um and still kind of consider it all one entity right and i I think that that's that's a hard problem but it's definitely an interesting one
0: well audience before we say goodbye to elizabeth be sure you all go to the website uh either from cataphora or at digital mirror and grab that software and see what you look like (laughs) what is your digital you and secondly i really encourage you again to pick up Elizabeth's new book, E-Habits, What You Must Do to Optimize Your Professional Digital Presence, just published by McGraw-Hill. And Elizabeth Charnick, founder, CEO of Cataphora, and what an amazing thinker. I think you are on to something really big. Thank you for being with us on Market Edge. My pleasure, Larry. And thanks, everybody, for listening uh, to today's conversation. Do visit webmasterradio.fm at 12 noon Eastern Time on Tuesdays to tune in to the new episodes of Market Edge. This is Larry Weber, your host. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.